Amen. Never give up and never give in. What a message. That is powerful. Thank you, choir. You know what? Sometimes we feel so weak and we're like we just don't have it within us to, to keep on going. And that we're about to give in any moment. But you know what? Grace always comes in the hour of need, doesn't it? Boy, we can always depend on God's grace because he has his hand upon us. And there is nothing, folks, there is nothing that is going to keep us from the accomplishment of God's will by his grace at work in us. You know, we celebrate God's grace a lot. And I think sometimes we miss it a lot because we don't think about all the things necessarily that are happening in our lives. And we don't realize that God's grace has been operating. And uh, most of the time it's uh, through the bigger events in life, you know, that we celebrate and so forth uh, rather than the most commonplace. You know, and of course there are so many stories, wonderful stories about God's grace and some of them come uh, out of our history. Back in 1944, in the middle of the war in Europe, uh, Bert Friesen was an infantryman on the front lines there in Europe. The American forces had advanced in the face of intermittent shelling and small arms fire throughout the morning hours, but now it was quiet. His patrol had reached the edge of a, a wooded area, and there was an open field in front of them, But what they didn't know was that across that open field, there was uh, behind a hedgerow about 200 yards, a battery of Germans that were waiting for them. Well, Bert was one of the two scouts who moved out into the clearing. And once he was halfway across the field, the remainder of the battalion followed. Suddenly, the Germans opened fire and machine gun fire ripped into both of Bert's legs. The American battalion withdrew into the woods for protection while this rapid exchange of fire continued. But Bert lay helplessly in a small stream as these shots uh, volleyed overhead. And there just didn't seem to be any way out. And to make matters worse, he now noticed that there was a German soldier that was crawling toward him. Well, death appeared imminent. Bert closed his eyes and he waited. But to his surprise, a considerable amount uh, period passed without this unexpected attack from this German soldier. So he ventured opening his eyes again. Can you imagine his surprise uh, when he saw this German kneeling there at his side with a smile on his face? Well, he's, (laughs) he, uh, He noticed then that the shooting had stopped and the troops on both sides of the battlefield were just watching anxiously. Well, without any verbal exchange, this mysterious German just reached down to lift Bert up in his arms and he proceeded to carry him to safety of Bert's comrades. Well, having accomplished his self-appointed mission and still without saying a word, this German soldier turned around and walked back across the field to his own troop. No one dared speak a word to break the silence of this sacred moment. Moments later, the ceasefire ended, but not before everyone who was present there on both sides had witnessed how one man had risked everything for his enemy. 
Bert's life was saved through the compassion of a man whom he considered his enemy. A familiar picture, isn't it? This courageous act by this German soldier pictures in the fashion what Jesus Christ did for us on Calvary's cross. The scriptures tell us in Romans 5 verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, folks, that verse was written by the Apostle Paul, a man who, without question, was one of the greatest Christians who ever lived. Uh, You know, Paul had suffered for the cause of Christ because he understood grace. He abandoned a life of luxury and prestige to preach the gospel of God's grace. He walked away from friends. He abandoned his life of luxury he, uh, he abandoned family and fortune to go with Jesus and to tell others about the Lord Jesus Christ and grace. Paul was a faithful believer, a powerful preacher, a man used more than any other in his generation. And I do believe in any generation since. But Paul knew better than anyone that without Jesus Christ, he was none of those things. Listen to Paul's own testimony in 1 Corinthians 15, 10. He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. Amen. Paul knew that his life and everything that had come from it was a result of God's grace working in him. The text, the uh, passage that we're looking at today in Acts uh, chapter 9 records the day when Paul was apprehended by that grace. So you, with your Bibles open, I'd like for you to stand with me as we read together this passage in Acts. We're going to read verses 1 through 16 of chapter 9. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said to him, arise and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now, there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him, the Lord said to in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street, call straight, 
and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Heavenly Father, Lord, what a tremendous example we find in this man, Paul. How, Lord, you took a life, you grabbed hold of that life, Father, by your grace, and you changed it. And, Father, you made him into a faithful servant that, Father, has enabled generations afterward, Father, to understand your grace and to come to Jesus Christ by faith. And so, Lord, help us today as we examine this passage, that we might know truly the majesty of saving grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated, will you? Well, i got to tell you, folks. Grace had been after Paul for quite some time. You know. But on this day... The day that's described in these verses here, Paul was captured once and for all by this marvelous, matchless, glorious grace of God. He was saved, he was secured, and sent out to serve a new master. I want us to look into these verses for a few minutes today because I want to preach, uh, try and preach about the majesty of saving grace. And I want to show what grace does in every life that it touches, yours and mine and anyone hears of the gospel of grace of Jesus Christ. So may the Lord help us to understand this majesty of saving grace. First off, we can see here in, in this passage how grace claimed the life of this man, Paul. Grace claimed his life in spite of his deeds. Look at verses 1 and 2. Paul was like before he, you know, before he came to know Jesus, he was a staunch Jew who did everything in his power to destroy Christianity. Paul, the, the verse 1 says, Paul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. And he wanted more. He wanted to go to Damascus. And so he asked the high priest, send me to Damascus and let me bring back some more of these reprobates, some more of these, uh, uh, these uh, 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 people of the way here, he said. He was a staunch Jew that did everything to, in his power to destroy Christianity. He wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1 verse 13. He said, I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. But you know what? You see how God loved him? In spite of this, in spite of Paul's history, in spite of all his deeds, what he had sought to do against God, God still loved him and God saved him. Folks, the matchless, marvelous grace of God that overlooks our sin as it seeks to reach out and grab hold of that dark heart and make it new again. Now, Paul, uh, excuse me, there was um, 
uh, a minister, Peter Miller. The, he was a plain old Baptist preacher living in Ephrata, Pennsylvania, in the days of the Revolutionary War. Well, near his church, there lived a man who was, he was a real reprobate, you know, got bitter and he did everything in his power to malign this pastor right down to the last degree. Well, this man became involved in treason. So he was arrested and then sentenced to hang. Well, do you know that this preacher, he started out on foot and walked all the 70 miles to Philadelphia to plead for this man's life. Well, General Washington heard his plea, but he said, no, your plea for your friend cannot be granted. My friend, he said, he is not my friend. He is the worst enemy that I have. What? Washington said, you have walked nearly 70 miles to save the life of an enemy. Well, this puts the matter in a different light. I'll grant his pardon. Folks, this is the essence of grace. It affords us God's riches at Christ's expense, right? Amen. Grace has been described as the unmerited love and favor of God for undeserving lost sinners. In spite of all that we are, in spite of all that we have done, God still extends his grace to lost sinners. Listen, here's the facts, folks. Number one, we're all sinners and we all deserve to go to hell. Romans 3.23 tells us, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then in verse uh, Romans 6, 20, 23, he says, the wages of sin is death. The man who's writing this knows what he's talking about. Aside from it being inspired of God, it's the apostle Paul who wrote this letter to the Romans. And then the second fact here is that we are dead in our sins and we cannot get to God. Listen to what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. A dead man can do nothing. A spiritually dead man has no hope whatsoever. He cannot save himself. There is nothing he can do in order to earn salvation. Um, a, a spiritually dead man is dead and has uh, no hope whatsoever. But listen, folks. The third fact, God comes to where we are and he extends his saving grace into our lives. Just three verses later in that same chapter in Ephesians, Paul writes, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Amen. Amen. Paul had no thoughts of being saved. Oh, my goodness sake. Grace claimed the life of this apostle in spite of his past. But grace also claimed his life in spite of his desires. Paul was on his way to Damascus. He wanted to get those those Christians and bind them and bring them to Jerusalem for trial. He trial and he um, uh, verse five, uh, Jesus uh, said to him, it's hard, isn't it, Paul, for you to kick against the goads? He says, you're persecuting me, Paul. I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. Paul had no thoughts of being saved. In fact, he was doing everything in his power to destroy the gospel. Despite what he wanted, God came to him anyway. <laughs> in fact, Paul had been a part of God's plan from eternity past. 
Look what the Lord tells Ananias in verse 15. He says, but the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. Oh, God had determined to save Paul before the world was ever formed. And he worked out that plan in his time. By the way, folks, the name Saul means desired, desired. Uh, what irony it is, just as ancient Israel had desired to have the first biblical Saul as their king, God desired to have this man Saul as his son. Folks, God has his eye upon every one of us. God has had his eye on us from the beginning, from before the beginning. God had already ordained that he was going to establish his people, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, before creation. And so, you know, if if we were left, though, to our own desires, we would never turn to him. We would never come to God. Salvation from God is not something that we look for. That's not where our desires are. Listen to what Jesus says in John six forty four. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. And our path, folks, listen, that path that we were on leads us straight to the flames of hell. Look when listen to what Proverbs sixteen twenty five says There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. So I praise his name that he doesn't care about our unsanctified desires, but he comes to us and he draws us into to himself in order that he might plant within our hearts and mind his desires for us. Don't give up on that loved one or that friend that you've been praying for. You never know when the Lord will break into that the dead of that heart and draw them into himself. That's what God is about. He loves us, folks. Look at down through the centuries of God's redemptive history. The number of times that he reached out to his people, Israel, calling to them. He says, I have reached out to you, seeking to draw you with cords of loving kindness. I love you, and I want you to come back to me. And they continued to rebel, but God never gave up. And he still hasn't given up. God still has a plan for his people, Israel. And Father, listen, folks. Not only did uh, uh, Grace uh, claim Paul's life uh, in spite of uh, his desires, but it also in spite of his defiance. In spite of his defiance. <laughs> Jesus told him, he says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. That word goad, uh, it's, it means to sting. And it refers to a goat or a stick that has a metal point on it. And it's used to, to prod animals, stubborn animals into where you want them to go. And that's how God has been seek, been doing with us. He did with the apostle Paul. Paul he was goading Paul's mind. He was goading his heart. He kept sticking him. He wouldn't let Paul rest. He kept trying to correct his way, kept trying to move him back toward him. He would not give up. Paul was doing his own thing and God was goading his heart. He was making life so uncomfortable for Paul. He was fighting what God was doing while uh, uh, he was fighting what God was doing in his heart and his life. But God ignored that. God ignored Paul's defiance. 
And he continued to goad him until he was ready to surrender to the will of God. And Paul did that in God's time. Paul did that in God's time. God wasn't getting frustrated with Paul. Paul didn't come to him uh, before he was started uh, killing all those Christians. No, uh, 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 try to turn his heart at that time. He was goading him. He was trying to get Paul to come in his direction. But God waited until his time, until the time was right. When Paul was on the road to Damascus, and he knew that was the time in which he needed to make his appearance to Paul and get him on the right road to redemption. Man stands and he lifts a defiant fist toward heaven. And he tells God to mind his own business. But I praise his name that he didn't, that he doesn't listen. I, when he sets his eyes of grace on a life, he will not be deterred in his quest to see that person saved. I'm grateful. I am so grateful that he didn't give up on me. He kept calling. He kept drawing. He kept convicting and working to bring me to the place of salvation. Praise God. And you know what? Not only did grace come to Paul in in spite of his desires and his direction, yet in spite of his devotion. Now, I know this item is not on your outline. You'll have to insert it. I apologize, it was left off. Just right in there, number D, if you're following along here. This is in spite of his devotion. Verse 1, Paul was a man who was absolutely committed to his way of life. He possessed all the right credentials, and he lived life on his terms. But God was able to turn Paul's heart toward glory and bring him to faith in Jesus. You know, lost men live their lives with a blind, mindless devotion to their way of life. They think they're in control of their destinies. They, in fact, they actually believe that they're living life on their own terms. Well, guess what, folks? They're prisoners of their passion and just drones of the devil himself. And they do what he leads them to do. Listen to what Jesus says in John eight forty four. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. Thank God that the Lord is able to bring light into the darkness of a dead heart. He is able to show him the foolishness of the life he's living and to draw him by grace to a new life in Christ. So, regardless of where persons find themselves today, God can reach them. God can reach into their life by grace. He can claim them and he can save them. And not only did did, uh, grace claim Paul's life, but grace changed his life. Grace changed the life of this apostle. And in verse 6 we see, it says, uh, So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? (laughs) What a difference it was from just a few minutes before when he was saying, who are you, Lord? Now he was saying, what do you want me to do? Before, he had been rebelling against the Lord Jesus. He was seeking to destroy his influence and the lives of everyone who followed him. But now he was saying, Lord, tell me what you want me to do. The Lord Jesus had brought Paul to his knees. Paul was terrified and recognizing the master of the universe, he simply said, Lord, What do you want me to do? Saul realized his position 
and he submitted to the master. Saul of Tarsus had been totally devoted to practicing and defending and expanding Judaism. But Paul, on the other hand, (coughs) Paul, on the other hand, was a man who looked on all the achievements of his past life as nothing. And he wanted nothing more than to be totally sold out to and for Jesus Christ. He said in Philippians 3, 7, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Hmm. He left everything and went after Jesus. This is the power of grace. Not only does it claim us for God, it totally changes every area of our life. Oh, you know, the old sinner who comes to faith in Jesus is transformed by the grace of God into a brand new saint for the glory of God. It, it's, it's, it's sad to hear someone say, well, no, I, I don't think I'm, I'm ready yet. I'm, I, I just don't think that I can do all that stuff that I'm supposed to do. Oh, my goodness. Oh, how they need to under, how they need to experience the grace of the living Lord. He can take a sow's ear and make a silk purse out of that life. You bet. He and he alone is a life changer. Has he made that change in you this morning? Not only was the, um, not only was the direction of Paul's life changed, but also the devotion of his life was changed. Mm. You know, at one point, the law of God, with all of its commandments and regulations and traditions, had been the central focus of uh, uh, Paul's life. But when he met Jesus, the Lord became the centerpiece of his life. He became devoted to following and serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus became the theme of Paul's life. One of the most amazing aspects of grace, folks, is how radically changes, how it radically changes the lives it touches. Testimony after testimony shows how lives have been changed by the power of Jesus and his grace. Oh, my. Things that held the heart lose their grip when a sinner meets Jesus. Sin, the world, and the desires of the flesh lose their power when a heart finds itself in the grip of grace. That's the essence of the salvation that grace provides. It changes everything. It changes your, your, your life. It changes your desires. It changes the direction of your life. Everything is different now. You're afraid of, of giving up those old desires. If I don't have this, uh, what am I going to have? You don't need to worry about you, what you no longer will want. It's the things that God is going to plant in your life, the desires, the new desires you will have that will bring you true joy. All those things that you desired before in your life, you desired because you thought they were going to bring you joy. You thought they were going to bring you happiness. You thought they were going to bring you fulfillment. Well, listen to me, folks. You found out, didn't you, that none of them worked. None of them did that. But you turned to Jesus Christ and the grace that fills your life is going to bring you the joy that you never thought possible that you could have. And also it changes the destination of Paul's life. Mm. Paul was sure that his devotion to the Jewish religious system would result in him going to heaven when he died. 
But Paul would never have believed it if you'd told him that he was actually headed to hell. But when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, everything changed. Not just Paul's life, but his eternal destination was also changed forever. You know, we live in a day when many people do not believe in hell any longer. But that doesn't change the fact that all those who don't know Jesus are still headed to hell. And they're tra- But friend, listen, when you come to know Jesus as your savior, you're instantly, instantly taken off this road to hell and transplanted onto the road to glory. You know, the hope of heaven and the promise of heaven become yours when you meet Jesus. Have the direction and the devotion and the destination of your life been changed? Do you know where you're headed today? Do you know what your destination is? Well, praise God if you know and if you have that new direction because you know something about the majesty of God's grace. Praise God. Well, not only did uh, grace claim Paul's life, and not only did it change his life, but grace also completed his life. Grace provided all that he lacked. Oh, Paul had possessed so many things in his life. He had power. He had prestige. He had position, prosperity, popularity, promise. But you know what? He lacked the most important things of all. When he found himself in the grip of grace, he found out that grace could give him everything that he lacked. You know, he had had religion, but he lacked redemption. Paul kept the law as perfectly as a man could do it, but he still was not saved. In fact, he referred to himself later on as the chief of sinners. But when he met Jesus, he could claim that as his, all the things that his religion had not been able to provide. And he could boldly say that he was saved. Friends, being religious and doing religious things isn't going to save your soul. Religion just will not get it done. You must have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You must come to him through faith in his shed blood. First Peter 1 verses 18 and 19 tells us, You are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. You see, it is not about What you can do, it's all about what he has already done when he died for you and rose again from the dead. Amen. Amen. Shortly after sunrise, back in the year 2000, it was January 2nd, matter of fact, there was a noose placed around the neck of this 17-year-old Iranian boy. His name was Morteza Mokadam. He killed a fellow Iranian, Iranian in Tehran, on December 13th, after a quarrel about smoking in public. Well, now this portable gallows had been uh, moved uh, in place and was standing just 30 feet from where the crime had taken place. And a large crowd had assembled there to uh, witness the execution. Well, with his hands cuffed and tears streaming down his ashen face, he waited for the final signal that would end his short life. But you know, to his utter surprise, the victim's father, Ali Mohibi, exercised his privilege under Iran's Islamic legal system and granted the boy forgiveness. Just seconds before being hanged, he was extended grace rather than justice. You know, the killer's mother, 
collapsed under the strain. And she cried out, I will never forget as long as I live how he gave me my son's life back. Well, folks, this young man, after receiving clemency, Mogadam was ushered away from the gallows in the ambulance that was waiting to take his body to the morgue. And uh, state-run television ran footage as the teenager repeatedly thanked the father whose son he had killed. Well, like this young man from Iran, folks, we're all guilty of sin. We're all worthy of spiritual execution. But God has commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. (laughs) Yes, Paul had religion, but he lacked redemption. Also, he had service, but he lacked salvation. Paul was doing his best to serve God. He thought he was doing all the right things. He was a hard worker. He was active, but he was still a lost sinner until he met Jesus. But after, when he met Jesus, he received all the things he had never been able to earn by all his hard religious effort. It's the same, folks, for you and for me, your life and my life. We can never earn or deserve salvation by our good deeds. We could never work enough, hard enough, or be good enough to accomplish our own salvation. The standard, folks, is just too high. When we come to Jesus by faith, we can receive freely, through grace, that which we could never earn by our works. And then the third thing. That Paul had but lacked. He had honor, but he lacked hope. You see, Paul was a rising star of Judaism. He was the apple of every Jew's eye. He's going to get those Christians, you know, and everybody admired him. But deep within his heart, he knew something was missing. As it says, we see in verse 5, he kept struggling against the goads. Against grace, his response was to try harder, to keep on, to keep pushing, to attack the church and try to eliminate the name of Jesus. He had no real hope in his life. But when he met Jesus that day, everything changed. He was made the partaker of, as Peter says in chapter 1 Peter 1, 3, he was the partaker of a living hope, a living hope. Not a dead dead hope, not a, a wishful thinking, not a hope that just maybe someday, maybe. It wasn't a maybe. It was real. It was alive and it was coming. And Paul had it because Jesus had him. After Paul meets Jesus, he uses the word hope 39 times in his letters. <laughs> he had something that he didn't have before. Now, folks... You might have everything this world can give a person. But if you don't know Jesus, then you have no hope beyond this life. You have the hope of a home in glory. If you know him, you can have that hope that will never fade. A home in glory, an eternity spent in the presence of the Lord Jesus. If you know Jesus, you may not have much in this world, but you have hope. And hope is worth more money than money and all the money can buy. Do you have hope? Do you have hope, that confident hope this morning? 
In an English uh, church some years ago, uh, the pastor was overcome by the sight of uh, that was uh, at his altar. There was an ex-convict that was kneeling beside a judge who sat on the bench of England's highest court. Well, in an, a strange twist of providence here, this judge had been one the one who had handed down a seven-year prison sentence to the man now kneeling beside him. Well, in a conversation after the service, the judge asked the pastor if he had noticed who was praying next to him. And the pastor acknowledged this remarkable sight. And the judge then stated, oh, what a miracle of grace. The pastor agreed and he made reference to the criminal's conversion. He said, oh, but I wasn't referring to him. I was thinking of myself, noted the judge. And he went on to explain. He said, that man knew how much he needed Christ to save him from his sins. But look at me. I was taught from childhood to live as a gentleman, to keep my word, to say my prayers, to go to church. I went through Oxford, took my degrees, was called to the bar, and eventually became a judge. Pastor, nothing but the grace of God could have caused me to admit that I was a sinner on a level with that convict. It took much more grace to forgive me for my pride and self-righteousness to get me to admit that I was no better in the eyes of God than the convict whom I'd sent to prison. Grace is necessary for all sinners to find forgiveness, regardless of how they or the world pictures their needs. And finally, grace, then grace provided all that he had longed for. Ah, my goodness sake. You know, Everything that Paul, he, he was a religious sinner. He was striving for, uh, what he was striving for was given to him in abundance when he became a partaker of God's grace. <laughs> uh, number two, number one, grace provided faith. Grace provided faith. Before Paul had believed in the power of the law to save him, now he has faith in Jesus. Number two, grace provided fellowship. Paul believed that his religious works would somehow make him closer to God. But in reality, his activities were driving him farther away from God because he was fighting against God. But when he met Jesus, praise God, everything changed. He became a child of God and was brought to a place of closeness and fellowship. And we need to know that we will never please the Lord by our good deeds. They are nothing but filthy rags in the eyes of God. But we obtain fellowship with God through his son, Jesus. And then, finally, grace provided fulfillment. Listen, folks, you know, in spite of all that Paul had done to satisfy his soul, he still had a spiritual itch that he just could not reach. All the things that he had done and was doing left him empty and unfulfilled spiritually. But when Jesus met him, he was forever satisfied. Listen to what he says in Colossians chapter 1 verse 24. He said, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. Paul found joy, his joy, 
the greatest joy he had ever experienced in serving his Lord Jesus Christ and in the sufferings which he was counted worthy to suffer in the cause of Christ. When you come to Jesus, there is no guarantee that your life is going to be filled with comfort. When you come to Jesus, there is nothing that says that you are, life is going to be a cruise all the way until the end. In fact, just the opposite. When you come to Jesus, folks, it's just the beginning. It's just the beginning. God is more interested in your salvation, in your character, than he is in your comfort. And he's going to put you in places where you will demonstrate his grace, you will demonstrate his power, and be a testimony to the life of the Lord Jesus Christ in you. Paul said, I was crucified with Christ, yet it is not me, I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, it's the life of Jesus that lives out of the saint of God. Jesus wants to come into your life. He wants to take hold of your life. He wants to live his life through you. He wants others to see Jesus in you. He wants you to give testimony to all that Jesus has been doing and to the power of God and how he brings salvation that you could never before imagine in this life. Folks, grace brings fulfillment. If you'll come to him, for you know you need Jesus. You'll never get it done by yourself. If you'll come to him, he will give you rest from your striving and peace in your heart. He will give you a spiritual fulfillment that you could never produce by your own works. Thank God for grace. Thank God for saving grace, for keeping grace, and for sustaining grace. Thank God that I know what grace is all about. I do not understand grace. I do not know how God can take a lost sinner, love them, and save them by his grace. But I have experienced it for myself. And you have too if you know the Lord Jesus Christ. I know something about that marvelous, matchless, majestic, wonderful, precious, glorious grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have never responded to grace, then I invite you to do it right now. We're going to sing a hymn of invitation in just a moment here. And when we do... You realizing how much you need God's grace in your life and realizing that grace covers all of your past. God doesn't care about your past. He cares about your right now. He cares about where you are. He cares about what you think about him and what you want to do with him. That's what God cares about. And so all you need to do this morning, my friend, is when we begin to sing this hymn of invitation, is just to get up out of your seat and come down this aisle. And folks, we will talk. Okay. You can receive the Lord Jesus Christ right here. Right now. Maybe you're here this morning. You are you don't have a church home. Maybe you're visiting uh been looking. Our prayer is, of course, that you will find the place where God 
wants you to be, where he wants you to serve. But I can tell you that right here at Kempsville Baptist Church, God has taken all of us here from our places where we once were and planted us into this family so that we together in the fellowship of God's people can serve him through his kingdom, expanding the kingdom of God throughout this community and to the four corners of the earth. Won't you come this morning? Won't you join with us? And then you can ask God, Lord, what do you want me to do? Will you come? Come, will you, as we sing?